I didn't realize this was going to be a religious presentation. Yes, yes. Um, well, my religion, um, people of other faiths and denominations are very welcome, of course. But uh, most importantly, um, inventory is our single greatest cost, and it has remained that way since our inception, really. Um, this year, meaning last August to this August, it's about 42% of our total budget. And that's down, believe it or not. The year before that, it was 48%. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I have charts to demonstrate this. So this is the past year, as you can see. Um, or I'm sorry, this is 2021 to 2022. 35% of our total budget was distribution inventory and 13% was publishing inventory. And um, in the past year, um, due to largely these systems and having to tighten our belts budget a little better, we cut back distribution inventory to 27.2% and printing inventory or publishing inventory to 15.2%. So um, that's actually publishing is up, but distribution is down 8% of our total budget. But mind you, 8% of our total budget is $400,000. So you have to hold, you know, 8% may not sound like a lot, but it's quite a bit in terms of physical books taking up physical space, which I'm sure receivers can testify to. So um, this is really an attempt to just have a little more agency in our lives. Um, and so, you know, we're now only spending, you know, $1.3 million a year on inventory, but that's better than it was. And the longer we go back, that number wasn't necessarily bigger, but it was a larger percentage of our budget. And, you know, the further we go back, it would have been, you know, as much as like 80% of our budget, which is kind of horrifying to reflect on now. And more importantly, that doesn't work for any number of reasons. So in fact, the more that we cut our inventory budget, the less risk we have. Wait, I think I might have made a, oh no, I didn't put this one into a slide for you. So we're gonna hang out on this one a little longer. The more that we cut our inventory budget, the less risk we have risk meaning job security, meaning future having to not make brash moves without being able to see them coming. Um, also the faster we grow, which is kind of interesting by spending less, we grow faster. And the greater flexibility we have in how we develop our budget, meaning it's just like a lot easier to turn on a dime. And that's been, you know, that's maybe not that surprising because you just you have greater adaptability. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So by playing it a little bit safer, you can adapt more to the reality of changing situations. And that's been, if anything, the probably the biggest thing that I've learned over the last 20-ish years. So the more efficient that we are with our inventory in and out the door, the more that money moves to wages and profit sharing and that's like it's really that simple so inventory isn't about what we're holding it's about how what's called a you know a turn ratio so it's like how quickly what goes in the door goes back out the door with a few exceptions where essentially stocking up in some cases is to our benefit so the two very most popular questions regarding this are why do we have so many copies of this book? Or why do we have so few or none of this book? And believe it or not, there is always a reason to answer both of those questions. And usually it's a good reason. And usually it's not a matter of something gone awry, but in fact, a carefully calculated plan that is coming to fruition. Um, and we, we really tinkered throughout the pandemic to figure out what the optimum outcomes for inventory management and turn ratios would be. And that involved a lot of looking at what was happening in practice and what we wanted to happen in practice, and then trying to optimize 
based on that. So, you know, looking at what actually, like what we actually earn after all costs on each book, and then also what each book on the shelf is costing us. That was, those were probably the two biggest takeaways. Um, and now we're ready to move along to the next very exciting slide, which is called the six kinds of inventory, which are fairly self-explanatory. Um, front list books, which are like books that we publish that are new books that haven't existed in the world or haven't existed in our edition from our publication previously. So that's like, you know, when If Animals Could Talk, the coloring book comes off the truck, that's a brand new book that's never existed. It's never been in stores. So, you know, it's largely untested. And then backlist publishing, um, which are our older books. Oh, I'm sorry, our bestsellers, because if they aren't bestsellers, then we really aren't worried about inventory controls because they're not going to reprint. So it's more about getting rid of them than it is about figuring out how to manage their inventory. So, and then uh, distributed books from other publishers, you know, so, and they also have the same two kinds backlist, which is their older best selling books or books that may be best selling for us, but not for them. And then their new publications. And then for most other publishers, they're only concerned about their new publications. Those are the only ones they tell us about. Oftentimes the salespeople are so overwhelmed that they do not even mention the existence of their backlist. And we really have to pry to explain to them that's really where the gold is and please send us their best backlist if they're a new vendor with us. Um, and then we have remainders, um, books that, you know, I, guess I, I put failed here, but I don't, I wouldn't say that they failed necessarily. It's more, remainders are more books that were overprinted or in some cases, the cost of moving the books around is not worth the outcome. So for a lot of publishers, they will get returns to an inconvenient location and they would rather sell those books to us for nothing than pay to have them returned to them. And sometimes this is like legal reasons, like a contract ran out and so they can't legally sell the book anymore or they don't, they can't afford to pay for space for a book because they're paying a third party for storage and fulfillment. Or in a lot of cases, if it's a bigger publisher, it's for tax reasons. Like they don't wanna have to pay the tax on that inventory. There was a famous uh, court case where it was concluded that publishers had to pay tax on all inventory in their warehouses at the end of the year because uh, at the replacement cost, because there was a very unrelated tool and die company that tried to claim that that stuff, you know, that they could replace it for less than the cost of replacement and the government stepped in and said no. And that had dramatic effects on the publishing industry. Um, and then you have stickers, buttons, magnets, you know, and you know, and I'm, I'm like, I kind of waffle on like where if zines land in sidelines or if they're best selling backlist or if, you know, where they would go exactly. Most people would probably look at them as sidelines, but we kind of treat them more like our best-selling titles. So um, what do we know? We know um, that we earn a 3% profit on most distributed books. That's our average after all costs, even without making a mistake. That's you know, after the cost of inventory, the cost of labor, the cost of, you know, fulfillment and shipping and receiving and, you know, sales and invoicing and, you know, getting the customer to pay, we make 3% on that invoice, which, you know, we make up for that in volume. It's not as shocking as it might sound, but that does mean that when you're looking at an invoice of distributed books, we literally get 3% of that money. And then that goes, honestly, mostly into inventory and anything that doesn't go into inventory goes into profit sharing. So that's the other reason why like being efficient with this is so important. Um, we make 24% on published books. That's considerably better. Obviously, it's eight times as much. So that's why we focus so much more on that. 
And then we earn 25% on remainders, which I will point out to you is the most of any of these items, literally more than we earn on our own publishing. And so, um, and that's why we put so much effort into that. That's like why we go to the remainder shows and why we, you know, meet with those companies and have those relationships and add every vendor we can get is because we have created a unique way of reaching retailers with those books that for some reason nobody else was bothering to do and now we kind of have sort of a handle on that so um unsold inventory of distributed books is literally the greatest cost and crutch bar none within the entire organization. That's like the number one way we could screw things up is just like having too much unsold inventory. And at that point, it's not just the inventory costs, it's the cost of unsold inventory. So it's like when we buy 10 and sell six, we've lost money because we're making 3% and we had to buy those other four copies. So the 3% doesn't cover those other four copies. So this is the piece we have the greatest ability to fix. And um, as you probably have experienced in any time you've touched books, labor and space are the greatest commodities. You know, books take up a lot of space. There's a lot of handling involved. There's, you know, so labor and space behind inventory. Those are other hidden costs, secondary costs, externalities of inventory, let's say if we're being economists. So um, we look at the risks and we try to mitigate them. Um, a poor publishing program is literally the greatest risk we could have. You know, we could be bad at making books. We could make books that nobody wants. We could make books that nobody wants to buy. We could make books that everybody loves, but nobody buys or reads. So we really need to look at that as the greatest priority of the organization because that's you know even though we make more money from selling remainders obviously we aren't buying remainders in the quantity of 3000 to 10000 you know we're buying them in the quantity of what can fit on a shelf you know so that's number 1 and then unsold distributed inventory is believe it or not our second greatest cost because it's about 5 to 10 to 1 you know five to ten you know so like um five hundred percent to a thousand percent greater cost per book and and that you know and that's where the percentages get a little scary as you get up there in numbers um obviously the greatest unknown is that we don't know how many copies of something new will sell and the industry is entirely built on hype Everybody will tell you about all their promised media placements and how they're going to get this key review in the LA Times and how, you know, the this Jonathan Franzen is so pumped to talk about this book and has written, or I'm sorry, committed a blurb, which is the word for promised but not um, executed, <laughs> you know, so you get you just run into a lot of that where you know, or in a lot of cases, I sent out one on Water Cooler a few months ago where the publisher had, you know, said that, you know, this is going to be our book of the season. We're going to print 100,000. And, you know, the sales were dismal. They had, you know, more than 80% were available. They, they were selling them on auction because they just didn't sell. But, you know, they really tried to make it seem like it was going to be successful as a sales tactic, which is not a great sales tactic. You have to have people that actually want the thing, you know, and that's fundamentally publishing, you know, like it how you have to make things that people care enough about to tell their friends about. And that's not something that can be known until three to 12 months after publication, unfortunately. So, um, and then we look more at what the best practices are, you know, so being financially a little slower is better, you know, growing slowly, building up incrementally, mitigating risk. That was probably the best advice I've ever gotten where, you know, I, it was told to me very plainly, like most publishers go out of business because they print too many 
And I would say, oh, what are the other common problems? And they're like, that's really the only one. They print too many and then they can't sell them and then they go out of business because they just keep doing that and they can't learn from that mistake. And I, you know, and like, rather than being like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was like, well, surely that won't happen to us. And so we, you know, mimicked that for a period of time where, you know, it used to be that you could, it was very easy to sell four to 5,000 copies of everything. And now it's more easy to sell 2,000 to 3,000 copies of everything, you know, just over a greater window of time. And so, but we didn't cut back our print runs as fast as we should have. You know, we were a little slower to be like, oh, okay, well, we can sell four to 5,000 or anything. So even though other people are having these problems, that won't reach us. And then, you know, it's harder to look at what's actually happening, you know, emotionally or otherwise. So um, building upward until you have enough data about what should be on the shelf. I cannot stress it enough. Except that we will lose some sales for the greater good of stability, meaning that like making that money is actually less valuable than continuing to fight another day, you know, and that's harder to understand sometimes, especially like when the customer doesn't have the patience. But we're looking at it now where we can get books turned around a lot faster. And that's been really interesting to see how even at a time where like there's allegedly labor shortages, I think people might have just overstocked on printing so much that we can get books pretty quickly, whereas we would be waiting weeks before. So um, this is where, you know, we look at each new title in a quantity where we have a 99% chance to recover, you know, to like make back the money we put into it. And that just seems like was a hard best practice to learn. Um, and so, you know, what does it cost to have additional stock on the shelves? Um, typically for a distributed book, it's five to one. For every unsold copy on the shelf, we have to sell five copies. So that's difficult. You know, most books aren't going to have five copies to pay for that unsold copy. So... This is the other reason why it makes sense to build upward, you know, because it's very easy to lose money on a successful book. You know, when I could finally get secondary advice out of people, what they would say is that small publishers are normally put out of business by bestsellers because they didn't know how to manage them because they couldn't have books in stock when they needed them. And then they would have too many in stock when they didn't need them. And then they couldn't economically recover from that. So, you know, then the natural question is, what does it cost to lose a sale? You know, we're right back to 3% on distributed books, 24% on published books, 25% on remainders. And then, you know, it's also in addition to that, the relationship. The relationship is super valuable. So we need to have, in general, the customer trust us. You know, if every order they're getting is banged up and missing things and, you know, we constantly have everything out of stock that they want, we're going to lose more than 3% on distributed books. We're probably going to lose their trust maybe forever. So a lot of that is like maintaining the relationship and being like, sure, we'll get that for you in two weeks. Sure, we will fix our mistakes. I am sorry that we can't perform what seems like basic functions or this is what's happening in, you know, with um, all of our, you know, at our printer right now. And, you know, there was quite a bit of that in 2022, if you all remember. And so um, that leads to um, where the books come from, which, you know, that's pretty straightforward. We're a curator, and that means that we don't want every book. We just want the books that are right for us, you know? So we want the the right titles that accompany what we do well, you know? So we want the books that give existing customers a reason to make a new order, like motivation, essentially, or we want new books that partner with other books we have 
that convince new stores to write their first orders. And that's really the two strategies. And honestly, we wouldn't have the, you know, we wouldn't have the distribution program at all if not for the fact of those two reasons, making existing customers write new orders and making new customers write orders. And so how does that work? So Sarah reviews catalogs from just about every adult publisher every year, meaning like she doesn't look at children's catalogs because there's very little in children's catalogs for us. And, um, and that's, you know, about 100 vendors, give or take, because, you know, the small, small publishers are sold through a distributor, so you get it all in one little bundle. And then um, she adds the appropriate titles to a spreadsheet uploader that creates new records in our system each week. And then as those titles develop history, they also develop data so we can sort of see what the trajectory is with those. And then we can place those orders, you know, as much as like a year before the books come out sometimes as long as like the ISBN has been announced. So for a new distributed title, we usually start with two copies unless there's existing back orders. So if somebody has ordered some, we'll get two plus the number of orders we have. And again, that's just because that's the best way to work upwards. Um, and then sometimes a book will be overprinted in the conventional market, like we talked about, um, and, or the books, you know, they're in a pain in the ass location. The publisher is not going to pay to have them returned. And then we are offered those books at a steep discount. You know, it's usually about 88% less than what we pay for them new, which, you know, because when you look at these numbers on paper, we get typically a 58 to 60% discount on new books, which doesn't sound that different from what is effectively an 87% discount on remainders. But it's actually hugely different in practice because when you're cutting from 58 to 87, it's like a, a fifth of the price typically. And that, you know, like looking at percentages on real numbers in that scale, like it's shocking because it doesn't seem like it would be that much difference, but it's usually the difference between like $7 and $1.50, you know? So, or sometimes even more than that, you know? And a lot of times this is what these prices come down to isn't about demand or supply or anything else. It comes down to what you can resell them for on Amazon. And since that's not what we're concerned about, we're just sort of like skating in parallel alongside all of that. Like we're doing our own thing that isn't concerned about all that. So that's the other reason why like, the remainder dealers are usually thrilled that we'll buy some book for 35 cents a piece, you know, by the hundreds is because they're like, what are you going to do with it? And we're like, oh, we're going to sell it. And then they're like, but it's like completely saturated on Amazon. And we're like, oh, that's not what we're concerned about. That's not like who we're selling it to. And, you know, also the other thing is like, no book will be saturated forever. But, um, so for a new remainder title, we start with six to 48 copies, usually 12. And since these are how we afford to fund most of our operations, we're like a bit more commercially minded in those acquisitions. So whereas like when we're buying new books from a distributor, we look at it more from like, what does this book communicate about us? Like, how does this communicate our values? Like, how does this show our idiosyncrasies? How does this really show how like interesting and like dynamic we are? With these, we're, we, you know, we could have more that it would just be like the flowers coloring book, you know, that might, well, that would probably be a book we would buy new too, but we go wider, you know, and because a lot of that is what we're finding is that that is really easy to get new stores to order. And so, um, Next, you know, how this works in practice is that once per week, we look at um, the logs for all the publishers. So let me bring up my screen again. And so, you know, we have reports that are fantastic. 
And those often will show what the system recommends for ordering based on how well we taught the algorithm. And so um, right now I review the logs for all the publishers with books back ordered in our system, but this is something that we're looking to transition to Lance later this year. Um, and, you know, and it's funny cause it's like, this is not a difficult task. You know, it's mostly spot checks. It's mostly, does this look right? Is anything amiss here? You know, and you'll sometimes you'll see a new book that went on the front page of our website and it sold, you know, out in minutes. So the system is like, oh, you need 200 because it sold out within minutes. And I'll be like, ah, I don't know about that. Let's go with four, you know, and then we'll see like if it sells out again in a matter of days. And so you're looking at if the data isn't broad enough to be reliable. Um, so essentially like the what you're what this in in statistics you you call this like the width of your funnel determines how good your data is like the bigger your poll is determines how accurate it is if you're if you're asking 100,000 voters versus 1,000 voters what they're going to vote for, you're just gonna get more accurate information because you're gonna reach like a broader range of the population that's going to be outside of like specific, you know, trends that minute, you know? And, you know, people are going to just offer more information the more data you have. So that's the other reason we look at it this way. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if it's like a book like the Crystal Bible, where we conceivably sell 50 a week for the past year, we probably do want to order 200. You know, that's slightly a different situation because we could probably take that 200 a month up to 300 a month if we have it in stock more often. So that's like, but again, we don't want to do that in a new book because we don't know how quickly it'll dry up. And that's at the point that it creates risk. So again, while the job is not very difficult, the stakes are super high. We're spending the largest part of our budget, which could like easily quadruple if we aren't careful. When the system was brand new, I would just like skim the order and I would submit like a $9,000 a week order to Simon & Schuster because I'd be like, well, that's what the system says. That's what we need. So we should do that. But we learned a lot of things in that time. We did actually need those books. You know, the system isn't wrong usually, other than in cases where there isn't, the data is too short of a window. But what happens is that publishers frequently lose orders, which is kind of unbelievable, but it's also true. Like we'll submit an order and then customer service just won't transmit it or enter it, or they'll, I don't know, Who's to say what happens there? And then sometimes, you know, uh, things go wrong in the ERP of the publisher. So somewhere lost in like ones and zeros in their system is our order just sitting there unfulfillable. So we realized that by making more frequent, smaller orders, even if some of those orders are lost, it's less of a big deal. We can just reorder more copies the following week. And so what I did is I talked to both sets of receiving departments and I said, like, would you rather get all of the copies of this book or would you rather get a few a week that you then shelve instead of putting away a stack at a time? And both actually said, I'd rather receive smaller quantities with regularity and routinely. And I was like, OK, that's great, because that actually works better for the way I'm looking at this, too. So um, then we backed it up and realized that if we do it this way, it keeps the title in stock because it's really easy to meet our minimum orders, which are usually 50 to 100 books per order per distributor, or I'm sorry, per publisher or distributor. And that keeps the best-selling titles, you know, on each week's reorders so that we're just constantly re-upping those titles. And then that helps us to build up the rest of the order if we need new titles, or if there's other stuff that's like an aberration that you know we need to reorder but don't need to reorder very often. Um, and so we want to order as close to the minimum order for each publisher as possible because that gives us the greatest flexibility with the next order. 
And so this is kind of how less is more. And, you know, just because, like, again, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so it's better to plan it out a little better. And then the other thing that was kind of shocking that Sarah observed is that as there was other books were sold out more often, we were we began selling books that we didn't normally sell, which was kind of a fascinating, you know, change of customer habit. And, um, and you know, so it's, there's a lot of odd behaviors. So, you know, we work with sales reps at the publishers, but they don't, they tend to just recite the hype of the new book. So that's not terribly helpful. So we are kind of left on our own to do the hard work of like figuring out what works for us. You know, I once had a, a sales rep at a publisher spend our entire first meeting for one hour talking about how great he is of a salesperson and how many awards he has won. And I mean, to this day, he's our least reliable sales rep. He loses the most orders. He has never recommended a single title to us. And I have convinced most of his publishers to let us order directly because it's just better that way. And but, you know, on the other hand, I think this experience sort of summarizes so much of what people experience in publishing in a nutshell. Um, and so on the other hand, it can be frustrating when a book is out of stock, especially when a customer wants it, though, you know, there's the variety of problems that can cause it are pretty voluminous. You know, a book might be reprinting at the publisher. The publisher may have lost the oldest order that we think is coming but isn't. Or we may not have placed our weekly orders for the new book yet. You know, there's just so many different reasons. So, again, it's just like by just like frequency of reorder, that's the best way to go, it seems. Um, so our database predicts arrival times based on the average turn and fulfillment time for that publisher. So if Hachette takes an average of, I think it's something like 24 days, then our system puts in a date that's 24 days from the date that we order. If, you know, some publishers are significantly faster than that, you know, so that might be seven days, 12 days. I've seen some that are five days, you know, and that's the average, meaning sometimes it's faster than that. So the database tracks which titles have sales trending up or down, which informs ordering, meaning like, you know, we're looking at this title used to sell this many on average, but this quarter it's actually up by 33 copies. And you're like, okay, that's really good to know in the moment. And we'll look at that a little closer um, when we get into the nitty gritty. Um, but so we're gonna look at some example orders right now. So, for example, front list publishing, your favorite. And this is just the stock report. You can just you can look at it over here. Um, and then this is the list for Versa, who is the printer we use the most often. And so um, these are books that our system has flagged as needing orders. So it wants us to order. 468 copies to Cleveland of the brand new Bicyclist Guide to the Galaxy. But we're going to order, we're probably going to order 2,000 of this title. And then so 1,800 of those would go to Cleveland. And then 200 of those would go to Portland. And then we would continue to build where we're not going to reorder more of the first edition of Consensuality. We are not going to order more of the licensed edition of How to Protect Bookstores, which that's what we use when we sell a license. So I'm going to delete those two. We are not going to order more of the ebook or the first edition of Born to Be Weird. So we're going to delete those. And but all these are real-time data. So if you input an order right now, it would add. Well, I guess it would subtract from this quantity and then it would increase the suggestion. So these are what you can see in this column are things that have been ordered. And so we don't need to order more because they're already coming. And then, you know, so like, for example, we haven't yet ordered the Unfuck Your Business Workbook because it is a spring title. And mostly true don't get me started but mostly true the initial order will be 5000 so it'll look more like that and then similarly with the anger workbook with you know kink will probably go to print 
um, I don't know, sometime in the next few weeks. And so that'll be, you know, that's like a, a 3000 title. So it would take 2,500 to Cleveland. And, you know, this is kind of, oh, we sold out of Unfuck Your Brain today. Good work, whoever put that order in. I did not see that one happen yet. So um, that is a great example of things that, you know. So, like, this is, I've been talking to the printer about getting more of these, but that hadn't happened yet. You know, the last time I pulled up the this page, we had, you know, 600 in Cleveland and, you know, 400 in Portland. So I was like, okay, well, that can wait a few more days. But um, so that'll have to go in and then, you know, um, unfuck your body is going to reprint. You know, that's another one that but we're getting close. We are you know, not quite yet, but it's, so you can see here um, on my mouse here. So this 603, that's what we sell during our average 90 days. 37 is the safety stock, meaning the average order has 37 copies on it, meaning, and that's like for mathematicians among us, that is a mean, not a median. So if, you know, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of orders that are just one copy from, you know, when we did the Kickstarter, there's going to be some orders that are a thousand copies or 600 copies or whatever from, you know, when this book was new. And then, but the average works out to 37. And then the average month, we sell 188.49 copies. So, and then, but you can see below here, the past quarter, it was down 24 copies. So that gives us a little more time because as you can see here, our average month is 188. But if the quarter is down, we actually have enough books for like more than another month. So I would probably sit on that a little bit. Um, but how to resist Amazon, it's a different story. It's trending up. So that's another one that would go to print this week because, you know, we don't have enough. And like we're going to sell a lot because we have the new book by the same author. Um, and then as you can see here, like this is an older title, The Institute's Guide to Portland. We sell 29.20 during our average quarter. The safety stock is kind of outrageous because of, you know, it, it doesn't have as many orders and some of them just sold tons. And then our average month is still 362, which is actually less than our safety stock, which is kind of wild. And then, but we're way down, you know, so we're now selling 300 fewer per quarter. So we will, like, this is a book that we wouldn't reprint anytime soon because of what's happening with it right now. So um, any, well, actually, we'll go back if people have questions in a bit. But so this is, you know, like right now we would be looking at Unfuck Your Brain. Mostly True isn't done yet. Um, How to Resist Amazon would reprint. And then, but we would wait on this. So I can go down here and say save for later because it's not quite there, but I don't want to delete it because and anything reappears on this list anytime it's under 90 days. So if you sold one more copy of Unfuck Your Body and I deleted it, it would reappear. So that's like, kind of the foolproof system. But right now, how to resist Amazon, unfuck your brain, bicyclist guide to the galaxy. We've been waiting on the Library of Congress and we're gonna have to give up on them because, well, we can't wait forever. Um, and then we just reprinted Make Your Place. So we're not gonna print it again. And as you can see, that's another one that's downtrending. But in the old days, we would have reprinted it anytime it went under 5,000 because those numbers were so dynamically different. Um, and then so you can see that's kind of how a combination of, you know, like Unfuck Your Brain is a best-selling backlist. Um, how to resist Amazon, I guess, is almost backlist. And but some of these newer books, you know, they're in the negative. We're building orders as we figure out how many to print. And, you know, we also know with the book like Bikes Close Guide to the Galaxy that we're not going to sell as many long term as we do with the book like Unfuck Your Brain. Like it's kind of a book that like saturates and satisfies, whereas like Unfuck Your Brain just like keeps finding new people and audiences. And we got interest in Vietnamese for it today. So you can enjoy the thought of 
that book being in, I think it's 34th language. Um, and then we're going to meet with even more publishers to license that this year. So um, that's a combination of front list and back list publishing. Um, and then this is A to Z, who now handles both curiously our enamel pins and our decks. And they, we can do both at one place. So you can see similarly, it's like Divine Deco Tarot. We've got 5,000 on order. We don't need more. Um, and you can see that's like shaping up pretty nicely. Um, and then a lot of these, you know, there's orders to Portland. There's not orders to Cleveland. It's because they can only ship to one location. So what we'll do is we'll put those orders in to forward them to Cleveland rather than making a separate order because making a separate order costs an extra $4,000, which we don't need to spend because we can just take half of them and put them in separate UPS boxes. And then, you know, we have like the Intimacy Conversation deck that's forthcoming. So that'll come up later. The Pittsburgh Tarot, that's forthcoming. You know, so this one's like in good order. Like we don't need to do anything. So I would just like leave that one. Um, wait, isn't this the same thing we already looked at? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. And then when when we're looking at distributed titles, we sort by, you know, you click on stock report and then the first thing I'll do, so this is alphabetized by distributor, anything that has less than 90 days. It's 1,769 titles. So I would click on PDX quantity and I would ignore all these front list titles. And I would ignore this sticker and the, this, you know, still front list, still front list. And then this is like a book that they put it in. Yeah, don't get me started. So the first one is witchcraft, sorcery, and superstition. It's negative 12 in Portland. We have none on order. So it says we should buy 20. And so this is the suggested order for Simon & Schuster. It's 632 titles and $4,500. That's a lot of money. So the first thing I would do is I would say, show me what 30 days looks like rather than 90 days. And then it says, oh yeah, that's actually quite a bit less. And then I will do a little of a proof, you know, here to see like, okay, well, we probably should have some in Portland. We shouldn't have none. And then, so this is a new, I wonder why it's eliminating this new title. So this is um, a, a front list title from a publisher that we have never ordered before. It says the historical sales are zero, but it's suggesting we don't order any either. Normally two will be the safety stock rather than zero. That may be a bug. Might have to talk to the coding department about that one. But so anytime there's some in Portland and we have more than 30 days overall, I feel comfortable deleting them. So this both tells me we don't need any of real witches of New England and it reduced quantities on all these other titles. So that took us from $4,500 to $1,100. And that seems about right because that's about a third. So really the thing we need is this witchcraft superstition and sorcery. But, you know, we need to meet at least 50 titles um, to meet our minimum. So what I would do here is I'm like, we don't actually want that. Like, this is a, a book we sell in Cleveland. We don't need those in Portland. So, and then similar, well, that one's a little different. And so, but there's things like that that you just know with time. And so that's really the skill level is being like, do we actually need this in Portland? Like, or is it just because someone tried to enter an order and then move that order to a different location? And so I'm just going to whittle this down quickly so we can submit this order. And then as long as we meet our minimum. And then I normally delete the ones off if we have some in stock, because again, there's just like, it's a little silly to order one and shelve one. It feels like two is a good baseline for that. And um, so sometimes I'll increase it to two. Um, there's a book by my friend that we reorder all the time, which is fantastic. Um, and then this is, so I took all the ones off and I cut it down and we're at 84. 
And so you can sort by quantity and be like, okay, this is the one we actually need. And some of these will come in damaged is the other thing. So you want to go a little, you know, if even if we need 12, you don't ever want to just order 12 because what will happen is we'll get like three damaged ones out of 12. So that's, you know, that's like another consideration that is can be a little maddening. So here we are, we're at 78 books. Um, and then a little bit of a rush rush. Um, and then they don't need this information about freight routing or prepayment, so I delete that. And then $584, we're going to submit that order. And then that went through. So, um, and that's based on, like, because it's the sales data, so that doesn't, you know, you can kind of go that quickly once you understand what you're looking at and what you're doing. Um, and then for remainders, it's a little bit different. Like we get inventory sent to us. So this is Texas Bookman. They have 10, 1,088 copies. We already have 10 in stock and two on order. We don't, it's not really selling, so we wouldn't take any. So that's kind of the same as like with publishing. And with this stuff, we really want to look at it as like sorting by what we sell the most of. So, and we're like in pretty good order. So with this stuff, we can hold up to six months of what we know to be six months. And then sometimes you'll have something like the power of crystals where it's like dropping off. So 208 would have been six months and now 196 would be more like six months. So that's kind of what goes into that. And then everybody's favorite, a handful of stars, which takes up so much space. Um, it says they have one copy. That's strange. I'm sure they have more than one copy. But we're not going to get more yet because that's one where I know we can get it for 50 cents elsewhere. So we'll wait until somebody has a bunch of copies of 50 cents and then we'll buy them all. And then, you know, you'll get like a bunch of those. Um, and then this is sidelines. These are stickers. Um, these are some new stickers. These are some reprint stickers. So like the minimum on these is two fifty, but it only costs us twenty six dollars to get two fifty. So that's you know, this one's pretty straightforward. People need to know that prisons are America's finest slave plantations. With that sticker that is twenty five years old. Um, and so this is kind of how that works. Um, we need at least, uh, as you can see, oh no, actually that's not correct. I think the minimum actual order on stickers is like 18 times 250, whatever that works out to. Um, and then zines are similar where we can kind of juggle what 90 days looks like between the two warehouses. So on you know the Joy of Less workbook, which I, I still am not sure if that's a joke or not, um, but either way, it's not in print. And so we would look at this from like, what do we have the least of in Portland? Since this is like, we're looking at location in Portland and we need more mindfulness and meditation. We need more rough guide to consensus. Wow, that one really has started selling. That like sold so little for the first few years. Um, and then, you know, some of this stuff like xerography debts, like rather than printing more, we would just transfer from Cleveland because what's going to happen is these are going to sell fewer and fewer over time as they get older. And then um, I did find five copies of Coffee Shop Crushes the other day. So that's exciting news. Um, and that's another one that's like, I think it's from 2000. So that one's older. Um, but a lot of the, you know, so there's nothing like super pressing other than unfuck your mindfulness and meditation. Like the rest of these could wait a little bit, but we already have an order for that one. So that's, that would be like an impetus to place this order soon. But that's kind of like, what's the consideration is like, we're trying to make it so there are as few bumps for as short a period of time while spending as little money as possible. Because the honest truth is that the biggest benefactors of these sales are the big five publishers, you know, who are doing billions of dollars in sales annually anyway. So like, I'm not exactly worried about them. I'm more worried about like us and our future and the smaller publishers and, you know, people, you know, so like we, we do show preference, for example, to um, 
you know, people that have been generous with us, you know, will be a little more careful about keeping their stuff in stock. Like Red Wheel Wiser has been very friendly with us. So, you know, we look at that stuff. And then um, the uh, publisher in Pennsylvania, whose name is currently escaping me, you know, they've been really awesome. And, you know, and they were like, at one point they were like, why aren't you buying more of our stuff? Is it not selling? And I was like, oh, no, it's selling. I think we're just not being like diligent enough about keeping it in stock. And then so now we've been working closer on that. And Limbo is our titles that we currently can't get, meaning that there's either a newer edition or it's like indefinitely out of stock. And then what happens is that when we upload inventory and it contains this ISBN for you are psychic, we can get it again. So that's like pretty awesome. So this is like, it's as a, a catch all in our system that Sarah created where, when it was like, what do we do if, you know, we don't want to list something as out of print, but we also don't have a way to get it today because it's going to reappear and you know if you upload a spreadsheet of titles and it does contain an out of print isbn it will tell you but it will tell you in hundreds of lines of errors of like titles that it couldn't upload because they're not in our system usually and so those are you know sort of the variety of what we look at um schiffer is the other publisher that we like do a little more effort to keep their stuff in stock but um it's really the difference between like keeping sales moving and not overspending at the same time. Like those are the sort of the two walls between us. Um, and I would love if anybody had questions and I'm totally fine if this went over, like I expected the PNL to. I have questions. Oh, I should have known. I w was waiting for you to interrupt me about like 50 minutes ago. Uh, that was when I first had my question, but I saved it. Um, so what are, are when you're talking about our inventory costs, like are those, I mean, do you have any way of knowing, are those normal, like other publishers, do they have higher or lower percentage of their costs on inventory, other distributors? It depends who you ask. Um, from So for a publisher our size, we are very trim and efficient. For a larger publisher, they have, they have like, this $1.5 million piece of software that does all that print estimating and like figures that out, you know, basically they have the thing that we built, but they've had it for longer. And so they're more dialed in and more reliant upon it. So obviously at times that's going to make them more efficient and at times that's going to make them less efficient. So whereas like most smaller publishers are the ones that commit the capital crime of overprinting. So they would have higher inventory costs and they just don't have as many other costs so most of their costs are going to be inventory so that's like a roundabout it depends if anyone else has questions please ask them i can keep going but i would like to give you all a chance is there a chat there is but we're just chatting oh okay um, well, so one question I had, one thought I had while watching you go through that process was, would it make sense to be able to mark a product option as do not reorder so that it didn't show up on your stock report? I'm thinking of like older editions of books we're never going to reprint or things that we've decided to like sell out and not reorder. In fact, that's such a good idea that we have that option already. We do. <laughs> Where is it? Um, it's, it's a little box you check in oh. and then it makes it not appear on the stock report. Amazing. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, um, though like older editions, it's kind of, it's a little, it's a mixed bag though, because what happens is the older editions tend to be the ones that come up on remainder. Right. And then when you order them from the publisher, they're like, no, 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 there's a newer edition. We can't sell you this book because we don't have any. Nice. You'll have to tell me where that box is. Um, one day. One day. And then it, it, it might be revealed to you when you become level six. All right. Something we can all aspire to. I don't know. I think I need a bigger carrot than that. My other question is like, is is there a way or would it make sense for there to be a way to indicate in the stock report and POs if something is primarily a Cleveland or a Portland title? Because it seems like that's another thing 
that you had to like just know. That is a fantastic idea. That would be really helpful if there was a way to like look at where they were selling primarily. Um, and mostly those are remainder titles. So that's a little like, you know, like we kind of know, but there are cases where there are former remainder titles that we now order new and that's where it gets a little dicey. Well, you know. we'll talk we'll talk it through later. Yeah. But yeah, that's something that differentiates a little bit could help. But in most part, it's like pre it's pre-dialed in. And like I I think seasonality would be the thing. Christine has really harped on this for several years. That you know, we kind of treat the year in equilibrium, whereas like Halloween books are obviously gonna sell more during Halloween, which apparently is in July now. So you want to have those books ordered in June so that they seamlessly appear in July rather than sitting there from when they showed up last November. <laughs> um, really, I wish I was joking. Another question I had is, um, well, I guess, yeah, is seasonality something that we could program in or is that something that the ordering person has to just know? That could be programmed in. Uh, all right, we'll talk about that too. Um, another question I have is that when we kind of have a sense that a new distributed title will be pretty hot, I know that it's like uh, really risky to buy over buy them um, and you normally just buy two, but do you ever buy more than two? Like if Christine's like, hey, I know I can sell five to this one account, do you go ahead and order seven or what, what do you do? Um, in some cases though, in most cases, the estimates aren't accurate. What happens is like, if it's like we should have 10, the reality is we should have six. You know, so and it depends mostly on the minimums. It depends on, you know, so many other factors. It depends on, you know, because it's it's like it's definitely true that if like we had 10 of a bunch of new titles like before they were published, which we can do. That could happen. But what you know, what happens in reality is that it's better to lose those sales and to sell them on the reorders than to, you know, do it later. Um, Christine um, has a request that I'm going to turn into a question. So, for instance, we have a bunch of Green Witch in Cleveland, but not in Portland. Um, do we need Christine to tell us to send some to Portland so it shows up on the website, or is there an automatic process for that? I'm so sorry I left out a part of the presentation, which is that there are components where we also handle, we have a whole separate system for transferring inventory from Portland to Cleveland and vice versa. But normally that's like what I was looking, what I was showing you is xerography debt, where if we have 23 in Cleveland and we sell 24 and a quarter, we're gonna send 12 to Portland. We're not gonna print 25 more. And then, but we have those systems. We have a, Sarah and I also receive a daily stock report of like anything that has sold out or has less than 10 in either warehouse. And then from that, that's often how we build restock orders. Um, however, um, as I said, this, this system is not reliant upon me. I'm more just like extending the system to um, like I, I more guided the construction of this system. Like, so it's not like the idea is that like all systems, it would sort of not be dependent upon me to run it forever. So can you, I, we're over an hour, but I was hoping you could just walk us through real quickly. Like what happens when we have a hundred items in Cleveland, 10 in Portland, we sell the 10 in Portland, then what chain of events occurs? Well, it depends. So if a hundred are in Cleveland and there's none in Portland, it would depend how many we sell a quarter. If we sell a thousand a quarter, we would order more. If we sell 12 a quarter, we would have Cleveland send four to Portland until that whittles down to like a reason. And, and you know, and sometimes what happens like a lot- What would cause the four to be sent to Portland? Like, would you notice or would you get an alert or would it come up when you look at the stock report every day? Daily digests, yeah. And then it also would show up on these, in the stock reports as well. But we also get like a backup daily digest that says these are sold out and or understocked. That used to be all we had. Yeah, we used to, you used to have to go through line by line the like however many lines of inventory sold the day before. 
Yeah, and like just for perspective, like the processes Joe just showed you on the screen, I know it looks like Joe is having to know a lot of things in order to do it, but it all, every single one of those decisions about every single one of those titles, Joe used to have to make those decisions and do those calculations manually in a spreadsheet and literally would spend eight to 16 hours a day doing this. Yeah. And that was so it's much less Joe reliant now, Joe. You can go and learn from the aliens, take a sabbatical. Mm -hmm. So the computer does all the math and the computer flags, which, and you know, there was a while where I took me to trust the computer. And then I was like, oh no, the computer is actually pretty good at this. It's only like human errors are the only real errors. So what happens, um, you know, it's like, we, and, and now we have a couple different backup systems. So that's the other thing that's been pretty good for us. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. I don't know if anyone else, I mean, I feel pretty familiar with these systems, but also somewhat overwhelmed by that level of information. <laughs> Does anyone have any more questions or feel free to bring them up later?